Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. So today's message is going to be a circle. We're going to start at a certain place in Luke chapter 6, and where we start, we're going to take a bit of a, a journey, is where we're going to end up. And so where we're going to start and where we're going to end today is going to be Luke chapter 6, verse 36, when Jesus says this, be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. So will you go on this journey with me? And we're going to end up back here in the same place, but let's, let's start with the idea of God being our Father, a merciful Father. What exactly does that mean? And I'm, I'm kind of quirky, I know that, but I was reading through an Anglican book of catechism. And it tried to describe what God being our Father means. And the language was just absolutely stunning to me. It says this, Like all loving and sincere fathers, God loves us in our weakness, provides for our needs, teaches us in our ignorance, and corrects us when we go astray. I love those manifestations of God's mercy. And I, I just, in my mind, I kind of see a continuum as we grow. When we're babies, we, we can barely even move on our own. But God loves us in our weakness, as a heavenly, as an earthly father should, so our heavenly father does. He, he also provides for our needs. Whether we know that's what we need or not, God provides it. In our ignorance, he teaches us. And when we go astray, he corrects us. These are the manifestations of God's mercy. Be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. So here's where we're going to go on this little trip. As God is merciful, so His mercy in our lives should alter our actions as His children. And that brings us to Jesus' teaching in Luke chapter 6. Before now in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus has given different commands, but this is a command He gives directly to his disciples. In fact, this is the first command in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus gives directly to those who choose to be his followers, meaning that these words for us should be bolded, underlined, italicized. These words should have great emphasis for us. So let's look what Jesus teaches in Luke chapter 6. And he says this, But I tell to those of you who are listening... Listen. Listen very carefully. In fact, uh, in my little notes, as I kind of do a brief description of a message, I, I, I call this Jesus' most often ignored command, even by Christians today. Listen, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. So let's do this. Let's just start with the realization that relationships are challenging. Relationships are difficult. In honor of Valentine's Day, um, I purchased a little book. It's a book. This is actually the 30th anniversary edition. It's called Everything Men Know About Women. And so as you can tell, uh, for those of you who are listening to the podcast, I'm going to describe it here in just a moment. But for those of you watching, you can tell it's a very thin little book. It's written by Alan Francis and Cindy Cashman. I, I do want to read the back. It says, this is based on years of research and interviews with thousands of men in all walks of life. They present the most complete picture ever re revealed of men's knowledge of the opposite sex. 
and I'm opening it up and I'm flipping it right now for those who are watching online. Every single page in this book is blank. And so this has actually been edited and expanded over the years. I've added my notes, which is literally none at all. Now, I kind of like this. This is a silly idea, but this is a best-selling book. But it also communicates the point that relationships are complicated things, not only between men and women, but in our relationships with parents and friends and coworkers and neighbors and associates, relationships are just confusing and they are cumbersome. And so in light of this, in light of the fact that we tend to rub each other wrong, Jesus says, love your enemies. And I think what we need to do is we need to clearly define those two words, love and enemies. Love, and this is my definition, means to will and to work towards somebody's ultimate good. Love is not about a feeling, okay? You don't have to feel feelings of love. Love is a decision. It's an act of the will to will and to work towards somebody's ultimate good. You see, what our world teaches us is that we need to pay attention as to whether we like somebody or not. And then if we like somebody, then we can decide if we're going to give them love, which is an emotion. But do we understand that being a follower of Christ works just the opposite? That we're not to worry so much about whether we like people. We are to love people. We are to will and to work toward their ultimate good, irregardless of if we like them or not. That is secondary. In fact, I remember at the five-year mark of being a pastor, I was wrestling with this idea, and it kind of reached this culmination. And I'm ashamed to say that I was a pastor five years before I actually wrapped my arms around this. Can I pastor somebody that I don't like? Uh, can, can I pastor somebody that I don't have a natural affinity to? And this is not just a pastoral issue. I think this is a person issue. That we need to say we are called as Jesus followers to love people, to will and to work toward their ultimate good, whether or not we like them or not. That doesn't matter, right? So now that we've defined love, to will and to work toward somebody's ultimate good, not about emotions, it's about will, I think we need to define enemy. An enemy is someone who does not will and work toward your ultimate good. An enemy is somebody who works, who wills and works to, to damage and destroy you. Now, here's the thing I want you to wrap your mind around, and this is going to be hard for you to accept, and it's hard for me to accept sometimes. Just because somebody considers you their enemy, you don't have to consider them to be your enemy. I don't, let me make sure I said that right. Just because someone considers you to be their enemy does not mean you need to consider them to be your enemy. In other words, it's kind of like a one-way street. Somebody can consider you an enemy, and that does not automatically oblige you to consider them an enemy. Uh, you've probably seen rage rooms. There's a, a rage room that I pass by on my way home. If you don't know what it is, look it up. But it seems like the whole world right now is a rage room. You know, we have road rage and work rage and home rage and political rage and even church rage. There's a lot of rage. But just because somebody is enraged with you, you don't have to react to that and be enraged toward them. Just because somebody is malicious toward you, you are still free. And we are still under the commands to be merciful just as our Heavenly Father is merciful.
So now that we've defined those two terms, love is not an emotion, it's to will and to work towards somebody's ultimate good. Enemies, I mean, people can, can hold us as an enemy, and we don't necessarily have to hold them as an enemy. There's somebody who's out to damage and destroy. What does Jesus say to do in light of these two realities? And he says three things, and here's the practical outflow of how to love our enemies. Do good, bless, and pray. Considered to be one of the most accomplished piano players of all time, Alfred Brunel. He's an Austrian man, born in 1931. He focuses on playing uh, Beethoven sonatas, and if you've not listened to a Beethoven sonata, you should. One sonata alone will have between 30 and 50,000 notes, okay? Now, what Alfred Brendel has done is he's memorized all of Beethoven's sonatas, all of the collected works of Beethoven's sonatas. He's memorized them all. He has in his mind memorized over a million notes. He, he can play it cold. He, he knows it inside and out. Jesus says when it comes to loving your enemies, you have to remember a million things. I just want you to remember three things. And I want you to play these notes over and over and over again. Keep plucking them out time and time again. Rehearse them. Repeat them. Practice them. I call you to love your enemies. Here's what I want you to do. Here's three notes that we need to, pr to play our entire life. And by the way, if ever there's a message that's going to have an immediate application, this is going to happen sometime this week. <laughs> You're going to be called to love somebody who identifies themselves as your enemy, all right? Here's what Jesus says to do. Do good. It was St. David of Wales. He was a Christian that lived uh, around 500 A.D. On his deathbed, he said this to his fellow monks. He said, um, he said keep the faith, be joyful, do little things. You know, we do good for our enemies. I don't want you to think about big, grandiose things. We need to do those little things toward those who identify themselves as our enemies to let them know that we don't identify with them as our enemies, to do good. Then Jesus says this. He says, bless. Uh, so here's a word. Here's the new word of the week. You're, you ready? It's the, the German word Scheidenfreude. I read this in an article uh, a couple of weeks ago. Scheidenfreude is a German word that means, literally Scheiden means harm, and Freude means joy, harm joy. Scheidenfreude is the idea of taking somebody else's pain and rejoicing over it. Now, the article I read that word in, I had to look it up, and I kind of have made it a part of my vocabulary, is because we live in a world right now where people take joy in other people's pain. Specifically in the article, it talked about people who are in denial that COVID even exists. And then they contract COVID and they die of COVID. And there seems to be people who are rejoicing in the, well, that's kind of what they deserve. Now, I'm not making any kind of political statements right now. Don't make me your enemy. I'm just telling you what I read in the article. But we have this in our, our culture right now, a tendency of schadenfreude, that we take joy in other people's harm. I cannot think of anything that is more anti-Christ than that because Jesus says, do good, but also bless people. Scheidenfreude is cursing people. We are called to bless. Do good, 
bless, pray. I want you to consider this for a moment. You may know people right now that nobody is praying for them. Isn't that a, a terrible thing? Wouldn't that be a terrible place to be in life? There may be people you know that right now nobody is praying for them. And this is going to be a little bit of a, a, you know, a hypothesis, just an idea, just a speculation on my part. But could it be that there's a person out there that nobody is praying for? And so God, in his care, in his providential care, will introduce that person into your life as an enemy so that if you do what you are called to do in Christ, that person will actually be prayed for. That person will now have somebody praying for them if we obey what Jesus commands. But if we operate just on the surface of things, we're not praying for that person. Not only are we not being obedient to Christ, but we're not giving that person the one thing God wants people to have. And that's somebody to pray for them. So these are three notes. If we want to know how to love our enemies, these are three notes we need to play, we need to pluck, we need to rehearse over and over and over again. Do good, bless, pray. Do good, bless, pray. Do good, bless, pray. You get the idea. So now what Jesus does here at this point, remember the message today is this big circle, this big loop. Be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. So now we're talking about how to be his children now. And we're going to come back to the mercy of God the Father here in just a moment. But we're talking about how to be his children now. Within this big circle, there's a couple of smaller loops here. Because Jesus says, do good, bless, pray. Jesus is going to loop around those ideas again by giving illustrations. By giving examples of how to do that. So he goes on in Luke chapter 6. And, and by the way, just remember where we are. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Now, Jesus gives an example of each one of these. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. This is how to do good when someone insults you. Can I ask you to apply this to social media? <laughs> the next time somebody insults you on social media, nothing that says you have to slap back. And we're taught in our culture that not to slap back is a form of weakness, but I would contend, as a follower of Jesus, and as a person, I would contend that not slapping back takes more strength. Here's the deal. We only have so much energy in our life. We only have so much ability and bandwidth. And if you're trying to do good in life, and as people insult you, if you try to turn around to address all those things, you're going to take energy away from the good that you were called to do, my encouragement is, if people slap you, let them, you keep on going. Just keep on doing the right thing, even toward those who insult you. Uh, I was replaying in my mind, we're getting ready to go to Israel here in a few weeks, and I remember the last time I was at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. This is uh, the church that's built over the spot where there's every belief and historical evidence that Jesus was probably buried here. And we had a group of, of 50 people, so we were kind of all trying to stay together, and, and there's a place where the, there are two lines that converge, and so I wanted to keep our group together, so I had two other people stand with me and kind of block the other line just for a moment to get all of our people together, right? And I even said to those behind you, I said, we're a group, we're just kind of all trying to stay together. Well, a few people further back didn't like that very much. And they kind of moved up and they said, what are you doing 
blocking the, the way here. And I said, listen, we're a group. We're just trying to stay together. They didn't like that very much. One or two of them climbed over the barriers and, and cut, and that's fine. But one or two behind us actually began to push and shove, and one person in our party got punched in the kidney, got, kind of got punched in the back. Wonderful man. He just kind of stood there and took it and just kept doing what I asked him to do and didn't address the slaps and the punches. Now, the funny thing was one of the people behind us, and I, I believe this was a Swedish group behind us, I thought Swedes were peaceful people, but they were kind of getting agitated. And, and one of the Swedes said where I could hear, they said, well, you people, you're always like this. And I, I kind of caught my ear and I said, you people, what do you mean? She said, you Canadians are so rude like this. And I go, yeah, A, we're, we're really rude. So didn't tell them where we were really from. But I do love vinegar on my French fries every now and then. So, so you only have so much attention. You only have so much energy. If you spend all your time worrying about who's insulting you, that's where your energy is going to go, and that is a waste. Just keep on doing good. Now, what was also interesting, the person who called me a Canadian, <laughs> we ended up in the sepulcher at the same time, kneeling right by each other. This person is a follower of Jesus. I have every evidence to believe that. But how many times do we forget that? And we treat people like the rest of the world does. We need to remember that we kneel before Christ, that we live in light of the resurrection. When Jesus says, love your enemies, what do we not get about that? So do good. And then here's a way to, to bless. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone wants to take what belongs to you, do not demand it back. So Jesus uses an illustration here that's hard for some of us to wrap our mind around, but just think about it in this terms. We live in a world that takes, takes, takes. We live in a world that demands. We live in a world that consumes. In fact, this message is for February 13th, Super Bowl Sunday. On Super Bowl Sunday, it's estimated that people will eat 1.25 billion chicken wings. Get, get a load of that. 1.25 billion chicken wings will be consumed on Super Bowl Sunday. We live in a world of consumers. We are called in Christ to be people of contributors. In a world that takes, in a world that is greedy and gluttonous, we are called to live generous lives, just the opposite, and bless the world around us. And then to pray. Do to others as you would have them do to you. I know you've probably heard of that little bracelet, WWJD, what would Jesus do? I don't trash talk that bracelet. I think it's a good question to ask, but it's almost an impossible question to answer because when, when am I ever really clear about what Jesus would do? But one author I, I read suggests uh, that we should change that bracelet to WWIW. Sounds like a new wrestling federation, doesn't it? WWIW, what would I want? And if somebody treats us, no matter how angrily or, or um, cruelly or maliciously just to say, what would I want? Not what do I think they deserve, but what would I want and do that? I mean, that's just what Jesus commands here. Do to others what you would have them do to you. What would it be like if you had an enemy 
to do good, to bless, and to pray, that the only time you talk about that enemy is to God. That's a challenge. Because our enemies, we want, we want other people to commiserate. We want other people to take our sides. What if you make a pact, your first step of loving your enemy is just, God, I'm not going to talk about this person at all except to you. You know what? I think God's going to honor something like that. And then we come back full circle. And Jesus goes on to teach more about love. He said, don't, don't do love the way the rest of the world does because even sinners and tax collectors and the Taliban and, and North Korean government officials, even they love people who love them. You're called to be different. You're called to be different from the rest of the world. Be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. You remember that definition of Father? Remember it? Loves us in our weakness provides for our needs, teaches us in our ignorance, and corrects us when we go astray. If that is the way God is merciful to us, don't you think that's the way we ought to be merciful to others, to love others in their weakness, to provide for their needs, uh, to, to teach and correct, not by wagging our fingers, but by the way we live our lives. Don't you think that's the way it ought to be? Now, let me give a couple of warnings here uh, just in terms of loving enemies. Don't go out this week and do some big grandiose thing. I'm going to love my enemy. I'm going to call my enemy, and I'm going to tell him I love him. You know, you can do that if you want to, but why don't you not make a grand pronouncement and just do something small? Maybe it is just praying for your enemy. Maybe it is doing good, dropping a note, or not shooting back, not firing back, where that's typically what you've done before. Start small. And the second word of warning I would give is don't expect your enemy to change overnight. In fact, they may never change. Uh, if you're doing good and you're blessing and, and praying for them and, and thinking that they're, they're magically going to change, right, and you're going to change them, and you know what, that's manipulation, not mercy. This is a long-haul endeavor that you're going to love, you're going to do good, you're going to bless, pray, even if they never change. And you know what? Unless God gets a hold of their life, they, they may never. We, we don't have the capacity to change other people. We can barely change ourselves. So there's a, an interesting museum. Uh, of all places, one is in Croatia. The other museum, like it, is in L.A. It's called the Museum of Broken Hearts. And it's an open museum. It's kind of like Wikipedia where everyone can make a contribution to this, to this museum. Something that, that speaks to a broken relationship, especially a broken heart, a broken romance. So in the museum in Croatia, there's, uh, there's a teddy bear that obviously was special to somebody and reminded them of the love they lost. There's old love letters, you would expect that. There's, there's one entry where there's a, a bottle, a small bottle filled with a woman's tears, the tears she literally cried over this broken relationship. There are other more odd entries like an axe and a taser and a prosthetic leg. I don't know what that's about, but these are all things that remind somebody of their broken heart. Think about your life. Look over it all. When you look back on your life, do you want your life to be a museum of broken relationships? Or do you want your life to be a monument of restored relationships? and a monument of mercy to be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. 
let's close that loop. Because of who God is, because of his identity, it changes our actions and we become more like him. One of my favorite memories of when my children were young, my middle son was just a baby. He was probably six months old. And we were on a very rough flight uh, between Dallas and San Angelo, Texas, my hometown, little prop plane. I think we dusted some crops on the way out to West Texas. I mean, it was just a really rough ride, but he was asleep the whole time. And the whole time I held him in my arms and it was, you know, it's just an hour and some change flight, but it was real bumpy, you know. And, and I did my best to absorb the shock, but through this bumpy ride, he was perfectly asleep and perfectly content because he was in the arms of his father. Today, I just want you to feel the arms of the father around you. God is merciful. Because of that, we can live as people of mercy, even in a rage-filled world. Father, I feel like uh, many people in our world are just on the edge of popping right now. We hear of a lot of rage on the road and in homes and in workplaces, and we see it in the political realm. I even see it here in the church. We are not called to be people of rage. We are not called to be people of malicious intent. You have called us to be people of mercy because that's who you are. Thank you, Father, for who you are, and thank you for who you are changing us to be. And would we become more merciful? Would you help us to continue to become until we completely become like Christ in that regard? And I pray for your mercy as we mess up every day and we try to get it right again. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May God grant you peace and mercy now and forever. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. And may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.